Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. So here we are, season two, first episode of season two, Live With Greg, with Elizabeth Healy, my sister. Yes. My brother. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good to be here in this wonderful view. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mill Valley on a beautiful day, that's you know, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, anything on your mind that... Uh, well, we were having some good talks right before yeah. <laughs> all this house, you know. It's, it's like, hold that thought. I think we were talking you know, about sitting at, you know, being at ergonomic stations, you know, yes. since so much of our work is... Now, that's boring. Yeah, that is boring. Okay. What about... How do two people live together in peace, mm-hmm. re- remaining true to themselves while also creating an environment in which two people can live in. The way I've done it is I have to recognize, you know, that uh, each of us are sovereign nations, so to speak, you know. And it still comes back to you being you, you know, what you need to do to be you, you know. And then I think that if there's an environment that that doesn't support that for one reason or the other, then it has to end, you know. So, um, so that's whether it's a love relationship, a family relationship. Um, I think that's kind of what I think, you know. Um, and one phrase that I like is, you know, whatever people think about you is none of your business, you know. So that. If I'm doing something that the other person doesn't like, um, so be it. You know, I still have to do. I, I think what's really hard, particularly the way I, w- I was raised, you know, when you have a large, you know, there's seven people in the household, and, and you can get seven, you know, I'd have six other people have input on what I'm doing. And we have to realize that where people come from is where they're coming from, not from me. You know, so their opinion, if I elevate that too much, I'm dishonoring myself and my true purpose. So it's fine to get input, but at a certain point, you just got to let go. You've got to listen to yourself, you know. And it took me a long time to really listen to myself, and I'm still getting there, you know, to, um, to say, well, who am I? You know, what are my values? What are, um, what do I want to be? What do I want to, what, what do I want to do? You know, so, what so, do you think? 
<laughs> I'm laughing because I noticed for myself uh-huh. that um, <clears throat> I tend to listen to people a lot and don't really share my experience. Mm. And just with Leah, when you came in and I was talking to my sister Leah, mm-hmm. I've, so I've noticed recently the impulse that I do that. I ask the person a question quickly. Mm. So they ask me a question, I share myself. And then instead of letting that sit, mm. and then letting them ask me another question, mm-hmm. I quickly come in with my question, mm. and I turn the table, and now I'm in a position of listening. Yeah. And and, and it seemed like that's what you just did, because <laughs> I was going to ask you something to go deeper with what you're talking about. Well, sometimes I think what helps is when you hear the other person and their response, that triggers something within you. Like, oh, and then you can go a little deeper. Rather than just a monologue on my part, say, about my experiences and thoughts. But I think, with what you've just shared, Mm -hmm. you being comfortable doing a monologue Mm -hmm. would be a healthy strengthening. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing in talking is, is, particularly those people who are close to me, if they were to see this, it, I wouldn't want to get too personal, you know, like, you know. Um, so that's one thing I'm, I'm conscious of, you know, so I try to keep it centered to myself. Right. Uh, it would help me if you shared. <laughs> <laughs> While I'll say, like, this is part of it, this mm-hmm. is part of two people in the same environment Mm -hmm. each doing our best to be true to ourself and respecting the other person's space and how do we do that in a way that is good for the whole Um, you one of the things I think you already addressed like when you were first talking a lot of it's I was hearing was um, about being listening to oneself Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, and, and the environment being good for oneself. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I feel I'm at my best when I don't judge the environment of whether it's good or not for me. Mm-hmm. Because like a scenario, an analogy, is a pearl. And the pearl's formed from the grain of sand in the oyster. It's a, it's a the discomfort, the irritation. Yeah. And I hear that a lot in the books I read and you know, um, other people, their successes. A lot of the success comes from the irritant that challenges us out of our realms of comfort to yeah. grow. Yeah. Uh, that's true. In fact, actually, I was hearing that, you know, how you know, uh, people always want to find their soulmate they're searching for their soulmate and um, I forget who it is now but they're saying you probably don't want to marry your soulmate <laughs> that might be a very you know difficult relationship and so this one woman she ended up divorcing her husband and now she's with a soulmate and it's not a he's a man I believe he's gay so there's not a, the you know the, the love attraction or any you know hint of anything uh, but they push each other 
you know, to their highest and best selves. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. I thought, well, yeah, I, I don't want to be in a love relationship where somebody's pushing me, pushing me. And, and because I think, you know, from, from how I was raised, I would still feel judgment. And uh, one of the things that really guides my life are the four agreements that uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. Oh, uh, they're fabulous. They're um, the first one is be impeccable with your word. You know, kind of like say what you mean, mean what you say. But re re also recognize that that is the main way that people are getting to know you is through your word. And if you're not impeccable with it, that's going to be their impression as well. You know, so that's the first one. Um, the next one, there's sometimes I will forget the four. I'll get to three. So I kind of do A, B, C, D. Um, always do your best. And your best is going to be vary from day to day if you're sick and you're not. But just, I, I would add to this, show up is important. Um, and uh, next one is don't make assumptions and don't take things personally. Okay. The world would be <laughs> an incredible place if we could just say, don't make assumptions, you know, like ask the question that you need to ask in order to get clarification, you know, and we all have our own bag of tricks. We have the buttons and you might meet somebody and, and you're going to step on a button you didn't realize was there. And then all of a sudden, who we, <laughs> you know, um, so, um, so one of them don't take things personally um, you know I've been following these four agreements for over 10 years but recently somebody said well you might have to go back to your past you know to say what did you take personally when you were four or five years old that you're still believing now and that was really powerful to me because there's a lot of stuff I probably took personally <laughs> I think there's a lot of stuff that everybody you know um, and so it's just going to go back and change that because now, you know, my, my hope for myself is that I'm a new person every day, that I have new eyes at looking at things and, um, I'm able to observe things a lot more than I ever was. You just don't get involved, just step back a little bit and let things just kind of happen <laughs> on their own. I don't have to be involved in everything, you know? So, um... So, with those four things in mind, it, it has helped me in my interpersonal relationships, you know, and, um, and even sharing those, you know, so that, that becomes the basis of future conversations, you know, saying, oh, well, I think you're taking that personally. I didn't mean it personally. Um, so. And that brings up something like I've noticed in my relationships, there's an element of, let's say you say something to me and I'm hurt. Mm -hmm. And you had no, like you just said, there was a button there that I had and you didn't even, you know, who could have imagined that would set yeah. me off? Yeah. So there's an, here's for me, the way I'm operating is that's not your responsibility. Right. That's my responsibility. I'm responsible for how I feel, how I act, everything about me, 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And we're beings in a, 
it seems we're healthiest if we're like cells, how cell matter comes in and out, energy comes in and out. Mm -hmm. So we're not an island unto ourselves. Right. Which means that I am going to have energies and affected by others. Right. Those seem like two truths who, that can't, they're not, they can't live that can't coexist. Like one, either I'm a hundred percent responsible for myself, and therefore whatever happens doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the big Buddha mind of mm -hmm. everything, that is the Buddha mind that we are always in a place of happiness and love and compassion, regardless of environment and actions outside of ourselves. Right. Because we've gotten to a place where it is just all love, compassion, and peace. And we, like, if someone's yelling at me and spitting at me, and I just see someone who's really hurting. Right. And I see them as a part of me. So I'm just going to have compassion for that. You know, like if I cut my finger, I have compassion. I want to wrap it up and take mm -hmm. care of it. Mm hmm. Well, what's interesting with. You know, if, if you have an interaction with somebody and you feel bad, you know, what I like to do is just make sure that perfect communication has occurred. <laughs> Which can be, <laughs> you know, like, did you mean to say that or, you know, uh, <laughs> it'll probably drive you people apeshit with that. But um, because, you know, then you're getting back to the person's intention. Right. You know, sometimes you can be around somebody that they just want to throw fire at you, you know, or throw, throw fire not at you necessarily, but anybody who just interacted with them at that moment in time, you know, it was maybe, you know, a perfect storm of things happening, and that person was, you know, you wish there was a light bulb over their head or a sign that's saying, don't bug me, you know, just leave me alone, you know. <laughs> you know, so... That's why I think that's actually nice to have safe words. You know, just saying, can we talk about this another time? Or, you know, which is actually what we were talking about before. If my father came up and asked to tell us something, we said, can we talk about this another time? It's like, no, you would not say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you wanted. <laughs> you know. Big trouble. <laughs> Big trouble. <laughs> so that's kind of like a way of a boundary. Right. You know? Um you know, uh, another thing, like, say, if we were watching TV or something, and if he had said, I need you to do this now, so the show's going to be over in 10 minutes, you know, there'd be just, there'd be no way he did not recognize us as having our own needs, and, you know, so that's why it's taken me, I think, a lot longer, um, you know, to really come down to really listening to who I am and, and recognizing that, yes, I want to be a kind and loving person to other people, but I have to be kind and loving to me. And so there are certain times and certain boundaries I have to start, you know, I have to establish, you know, so. Yeah, I, f I feel very strongly. You can't be kind and loving to others if you cannot be to yourself. Right. It really, um, 
so often I keep going back to that Michael Jackson song while well, he's saying and I don't know who wrote it, you know Man in the Mirror yes because so often our, these human elements get entangled and when they start like Mobius strip turning in on themselves and you're like wait a minute it's like a snake eating its tail yes and I take a breath and go okay that's right here right right exactly yeah so I have a, a question for you and, and if you don't want to share this to the yeah. world because <laughs> you brought up your dad and right now <clears throat> I'm back to a process of forgiving my dad um, and what's interesting is I have, been, like I said, I'm back to it because I've gone through a process of forgiveness and letting go. Mm. And so I thought, oh, good, that's, you know, that feels great. Can move on now. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, back to some of these realities that occurred. Yes. Have you gone through a process oh. with your father of forgiveness and letting go? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's great that you said it's, it's an evolution because I, I did forgive him and then, um, you know, talking with some people about it, you know, they were curious about the forgiveness and stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know. Forgiveness is it's it's multi layered. Um, well, let me ask you this: How yeah. is forgiveness multi layered? Well, I think that I may forgive him. You know, maybe as a you know at the at the moment that he died. Okay, and I was thirty years old. Um, then maybe something else comes up in my life. And it's not going so well, and I know that I can tie this this incident that happened back to, you know, uh, the abuse that he had he did on me. Um, and I might realize I have to forgive him again, you know, because it's coming up. You know, I'm feeling a lot of anger, you know. So it's things that I wasn't in touch with at the first forgiveness. And then I think that when you're forgiving. You're really allowing yourself to feel free, you know, because you don't want to have that anger. So, and you know, there's another, I can't think of it right now, but um, yeah, I, maybe it'll come back to, but there, there, there is one part of the forgiveness. Um, you know, I think where other people have said, well, how can you forgive him? You know, and then I think it's more like I have to for my own, you know. And then <clears throat> part of it is forgetting about him as well, you know. And now it's been 25 years since he's passed. And that makes it a lot easier, you know. It's like shutting the door, you know, putting it away. Um, and then when I hear about other people talk about their dads, you know, then maybe I might um, try to remember what he looks like. You know, something like that. Um, so, I, you know, I don't have pictures around the house that really include him anymore. You know, I have, you know, uh, you know, photo albums on online. You know, so it's always there. So, so yeah, it's 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 multi-layered in that um, incidences do come up that I want to revisit that. You know, to say, gosh, am I really 
at peace with it. Right. You know? It's just really clean. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And one thing that I did is I'm now, let's say he died when he was almost 58 years old, and I'm 58 now. And so, you know, through my life, there's been different times things like, oh, this is when, you know, when he was 40 years old, he retired from the military. Um, and then he became a professional student, and then he was kind of aimless, you know, for a while. And um, so I would think about, gosh, I'm at the age when he made this decision to do this to his children, you know. And, you know, because I know that um, while I, I haven't had any children, you know, you still, even without the children, you can um, have points of view of a parent, you know, like they start sounding like their parent, you know, it's like this is kind of the routine, you know. But my dad clearly had choices, you know, but he was who he was. I actually did go through, um, it was either a 7 or 10 day program um, that really helped to... It's called the Hoffman Institute, and it's actually located in San Rafael, but it's a, an international firm. And um, it really helps you to, you know, become a better person, and you fill up about 40 pages of stuff beforehand, asking you questions of how your mom acted, how your dad acted. And their concept is basically that you either accepted... Uh, excuse me, adopted what they did, their behavior, or you rejected it. And um, so it's a good way to say what what part of you was your dad, what part was your mom, and what do you want to keep with you, and what do you want to just kind of like, oh, I don't have to be that way. This is learned behavior, you know. So, I mean, just, you know, when I think about, like, my father, you know, he would tell racist jokes. Well, we didn't have a lot of, education about racist jokes and and but we knew the kids would go would grow and we say oh dad you know <laughs> okay but now you're bringing up something because <clears throat> i do i do stand-up comedy oh you know, uh-huh. knock on wood yeah. <laughs> some people might not think i do um so a joke Mm-hmm. Now we're, but there's the appropriateness. But mm-hmm. you know, this is something that gets talked about a lot in months comics of the mm-hmm. responsibility of the joke and yeah. someone being offended. Yeah. You know that's a tough one because um, one of my things about uh, comics is, well, like Letterman or are they bullies? Is the statement that they just made about this person, this denigrating statement, and sometimes it'll just come out, uh, I can't think of an instance now, but it seems like a bully. And so, you know, when I think about children, you know, looking at that, and they know their stories about zero tolerance for bullies, but then they go listen to Letterman or something like that, and it's like, I would say that maybe they're having a hard time parsing, you know, what's... One lesson. Um... You know, what is bullying and what's not bullying? You know, like what comment, if they made that same comment that, say, maybe Letterman said about somebody that wasn't on stage, uh, and they repeated that in, you know, about somebody else in the school ground or something like that, all of a sudden it's not comedy at all. I mean, I could watch the show on Letterman and I could laugh, you know, maybe, but. Um, yeah, but that you brought in the context of a child. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I 
And that's an interesting, like there's a lot going through my mind with that because you have the innocence of a child. Mm -hmm. And that's part of, I think, the, the the, what's the word, votality? Volatility. Volatility of the parent-child relationship is the child, the parent is the presence of love for the child. Mm -hmm. And however that parent is, is the representation of love because that's the natural innocence. So if the Mm -hmm. parent is beating the child, it's like it's like the neurons are getting short-circuited. Something isn't right in right. the natural flow of things. Yes. So the same with comedy. Like, I made up a joke that I know you'd think's horrific. Mm-hmm. It's a dark joke. Mm. It comes from a dark place. Mm. I use it a lot because it often gets a laugh. Mm-hmm. And, and there is an element. So, like, that... An element of me questioning, I think, that, that came from me. Like, is that, where is, is that alive in me? Or is it really a joke? Is it really, it's a twist of words. Yeah. It brings up, the part of the laugh is a discomfort. Yes, a, yes. Well, it's interesting because, you know, like maybe when you go to see a comic, you know, particularly the time of a comic, it's maybe you're entering an anything goes zone, you know. So we're because I think it does help to laugh at things that have happened, you know, because laughter releases energy, just like crying and, and you know exercise or whatever. So you know when a horrific thing does happen and when you can't finally can laugh, you know we are laughing together, you know, and, and I think that's one reason why people like going to comedy places is you're with people and there's energy. You know, and this laughter, and it's kind of like. <laughs> so, it, in a way, it, it can be it can be cool. You know, so um, you know, it all depends. You know, you know, definitely, um, if people are not in a good mood, don't go. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess if you're in a super dark place, I don't know, something could could set them off. But you know, it's very rare that a joke would really offend me. You know, um, you know, it might be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Are you talking about personally about you? Like if it's a personal joke about you? Um, or are you just talking about in general a joke that happens to be about women and you're a woman? Like general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a general thing. Uh, personal jokes, you know, it depends. I mean, it has to be a person who uh, loves me who's saying that, you know, uh, when you're laughing about uh, maybe something that you regularly do. You know, for myself, I've learned to accept who I am you know that's one easy way to not be um, to be affected by those things is that this is who I am if anybody were to say you know oh she's got white hair or something like that she's like well yeah I got white hair (laughs) so uh, yeah I I think that's part of accepting yourself you know Um, but it's different when you're you know when I was in in high school uh, if somebody were to say something that didn't match up with what I felt about myself, I would have I would have been very hurt, and I would not have had the tools really to get my well. Obviously, I survived, but you know, it's uh, sometimes you believe things that people say that it wasn't even their intention, it wasn't 
<laughs> isn't that I mean, isn't that awful when you think about that? Something that you could be carrying around, you know. Um, so that's why I think it's great, you know, to you know do writing, you know, about an issue that bothers you. I had a hard time um, about well, thirty years ago, falling asleep. You know, I'm actually <coughs> been having trouble falling asleep. You know, uh, for a couple other reasons now, but. Um, you know, I would have to go through all the things I did during the day and kind of like tie a bow on it. You know, that there's nothing that's going to hold that I'm going to be thinking about this evening <laughs> when I'm trying to go to sleep. You know, um, and that helped, you know, because otherwise things were showing up in my dreams. And, uh, or just it would, number one, it was hard to fall asleep. I had insomnia for almost 20, th- excuse me, 37 days. So it's like, you go a little crazy. You're just not yourself, you know. So. That'd be another case that if you maybe I heard a, a, a joke <laughs> might take me in another direction than, other than laughter. So. When you say you weren't yourself during this period of insomnia, mm-hmm. are you open to the possibility that you were yourself? Mm-hmm. There's a place out of your comfort zone. The person, the actions and character you're exhibiting as you... Yeah witness or out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. but I think about there's a lot of people I've heard about that you know operate on five hours of sleep and they're you know, yes. like Prince is notorious for right. the late hours you know doing shows that start at midnight and go yeah. down five or six in the morning yeah you know I think there's just different types I, I knew somebody in high school that was that way never was me <laughs> we love sleeping the- <laughs> In the Healy household, and it's still, you know. But when you're not able, you know, like dreams, you know, I think they do help you process things. And when you're not able to get that sleep, it just messes with you. Um, but I like your point because I've recently been, well, it's been many years that I've been trying to think, what is normal? You know, um, I have this, this working theory of lies of the Western civilization. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that Aborigines would never do, you know, yet they live a a very successful life, you know, and they're, uh, you know, they're hunters, gatherers, you know, but we hunt and gather in different ways, you know, but it seems all false to me, you know, Um, uh, it's kind of like I've drunk the Kool-Aid of Western civilization that you need to live in a suburban population. You need to get your food at Safeway. You know, um, your kids need to go to public public school. That type of thing. You know, to something. Well, what's more real? How do people normally spend, you know, their time and still be happy? You know, like the people of Bhutan, who supposedly are the happiest people in the world. You know, what makes them extremely happy? Um, so. So yeah. So that's other thoughts that go through my mind. Do you ever read, um, I forget the name of the book. I think it's Ishmael. It's a, about a gorilla? Yes. You know, I, don't, I didn't complete it. Okay. But because, it, you know, it, it ended up making me feel uncomfortable, I think. You know, I should probably go back. You know, that's a case where, you know, when we're different people at different ages and, you know, to go back and, and read that. Yeah, because yeah. that pretty much is about what you're saying, that Western civilization is based on a lie, but it also is saying that 
it isn't really Western civilization. It's it originated in the Middle East and it happened mm -hmm. when um, farming came into being. Yeah. And um, one of the things I that kind of went where I went like, whoa, that's a good point, was. Uh, the aspect of evolution and it said the big one of the big errors that humans have made is to believe they're the pinnacle of evolution and mm. therefore everything below mm. them is below them that there's yeah. a hierarchy and they're at the peak of it right. where actually evolution hasn't stopped so we're about a step in a process mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. it, it kind of shifts like how we're treating the planet and other species. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But I'm also working on a joke that about white privilege, mm. and um, my joke is basically saying, "Well, yeah, we learned from the best. Um, you know, Egypt was built on slavery, mm. and." So there is an element, it seems like these, like, grains of inequity and, and elements that bring harm to mm -hmm. others mm -hmm. have been in practice yeah. since we evolved. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's interesting, <laughs> let me just say this one thing also, because this is really... Um, I, I just did an interview, I videotaped an interview recently with um, two vegans, mm. and and I, you know, they're talking about the harm of animals and blah, blah, mm. and I really get it, you know, mm. I, I hear that, and I understand that there's some heinous yeah. acts yeah. that come from that, the process, the m m mass production of food. Yeah. Um, However, they talk about like it's not natural. And just about a month ago, Bodhi, my youngest daughter, had a hamster. Mm. And it was in that back room right there. And one morning, we came and it was slaughtered. Something mm. slaughtered it. Mm. There was a head stuck in the bars and a spinal column hanging out. Uh -huh. And that's about it. Wow. And we think it was probably a rat, because I don't see how a raccoon could fit through the little bars. Right, right, but right. that's nature. That is it, natural. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right, it is. I, I think the point comes down to the mass production. You know, yeah. that's when we're losing our humanity. You know, that's when we, we've given somebody at a low-paying job to go do something. And I think a lot of the heinous things comes from the anger of the individual, you know, because they can't be happy at that job. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, one of the things that I... <laughs> That's a big statement. <laughs> you know, I like the idea of, you know, the kosher, you know, way, you know, or my understanding of it, you know, that there would be, you know, process of blessing this creature that's, you know, going to be feeding people. And uh, but then I go a little further. My favorite food is bacon, so it'd be I want kosher bacon. Which <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think you know when it comes down to it, is if 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 love is everything, <laughs> and we always come from a point of love, you know, then 
then would be better off. But I think for some people in those jobs, uh, love may be absent there. (laughs) (laughs) But whose responsibility is it? Well, the, the, the people who hire... Well, gosh, it goes all the way back. I mean... Oh, we just said earlier that the way I feel, my actions, everything yes. is my responsibility. Responsibility, 100% responsibility. Um, so it's not the job. It's not the boss. Well, that would be interesting. If, if, if one of the qualifications, if I was the hiring manager there, I would want somebody who would be... Good luck do finding that person. <laughs> do you love the world? I'll go out and kill those chickens. <laughs> well, it would be well, you know actually what's interesting <laughs> is if we have more time, if there was time and and time is money, and if we took that part out of the equation, I think that we could probably a lot, be a lot more humane, you know, about dispatching uh, animals, but. I, I think it all comes down to the fact that we need to rein back on how much meat we have, you know. Um, you know, the way my mother was raised, of course, it was in an orphanage. You know, meat would maybe flavor a soup or something like that, but it wasn't the main part of it. It would be vegetables and you know, starches and stuff like that. So I think we've gotten out of control, you know. Uh, I think it's the mass production of food. Yeah. Like, even, like, at the... I'll, never forget the AIDS ride I did and going through mm. the Central Valley mm. and the strawberry fields and there's these huge vats of poison and people with pretty much like hazmat suits but yes. then you've also got people there just picking the strawberries and right right so I mean it's very yeah. it's hard because also you know there's plenty of farmers and ranchers they're good people yes this is their life it was their grandparents life and their grand great-grandparents life so to come in with this sort of like this is the end of this yeah is chaos too yeah you know like how do how do we create solutions that don't create more chaos and that like when you were talking about the layers of forgiveness what i was really hearing is forgiveness doesn't have layers we have layers Mm. Mm. so it's our continual unpeeling of our layers that keeps bringing up the necessity for forgiveness. Right, right. And with our solutions, and there's an element of, you know, I don't think people who were involved with the Industrial Revolution really thought they were bringing great evil to the world. Mm-hmm. And then I look at that, you know, the story of Cain and Abel. Like, that to me is the oldest story I'm aware of that talked about dysfunction, human mm. dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And and what other choices were there? Because if we look at the story, the story is here's two brothers. They're told to do an offering to God. One of their offerings is accepted. The other's isn't. He gets mad and kills his brother. Mm. And, mm. and if we think of God not as like the Judeo-Christian God, but more of that element of peace, like the openness, like the Buddha mind, the whatever... When you're at a place of peace and joy and love. And so you take that story and here I'm offering all that I am. I'm offering to that Mm -hmm. and it's not accepted. 
How am I going to feel anything but hurt? Right. Okay, so he took it personally. <laughs> took it personally, yeah. And so he probably had a lot of <clears throat> energy within him that he couldn't resolve. And he thought, okay, this is going to make me feel better. <laughs> or he probably didn't, like for me, I would think, I wouldn't even take it that far. I'd be more of like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, I'm angry. Yeah. I'm not even thinking, like, I'm going to feel better. I'm lashing out. That, yes, yes. And this is, and this is the only thing that I know to fix that lashing out. The action. Yeah, the action. Okay, if he's going to lash out and ends up killing, what would be another way to lash out? <clears throat> you know, taking your safe away from the, you know. I think when something bad happens, there's a lot of energy within you, and it's got to expel itself somehow. You know. Um, So, finding healthy ways to do that, you know. Um, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, if you get into a discussion with somebody you're not very happy with, you know, what's going on, you know, is, is being able to say, can we take a break, get back to it later, just so you can collect your thoughts. Because uh, we're not thinking very clearly, you know, when we're, we're all angry. In fact, I actually heard a, a thing saying that um, anxiety is like, uh, excitement, except it's missing air, you know, so if you breathe, you're going to get a lot more clear-headed, you know, about the circumstance, and uh, what's really great, though, is if you're in a discussion, you had a discussion with somebody, and you're both breathing, you know, so it brings your heart rate down, and then you can maybe go to the heart of the matter. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> on Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, on Valentine's Day, yes, yes. <laughs> Except so. this will be aired in March. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you seen your one with the movie with uh, Jack Black and Michael Sarah? I tried to oh it, it, it's one of my favorite movies really and then I go on Rotten Tomatoes and I think got 13% <laughs> and this is a movie I've seen <laughs> I've seen twice now and then I actually watched it with the uh, uh, with the voiceover right, commentary right. yeah I just love that movie Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're one of the 13%. <laughs> 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 All right. No, yeah. I, I, yeah, I tried to. I'm one of the, what's 13 from 100? It's 87, one of the 87%. Uh, yeah, you're right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's all right. I like um, that duck movie that George Lucas did. Ah. Uh, what was it? I, Howard the Duck. Oh, Howard the Duck. I'm not even sure if I saw that. Yeah. 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 That may even have less than 13%. <laughs> <laughs> what are the 2%? Yeah. <laughs> Mike and I. Mike might not even like it. But that's why I like it, because I saw it with Mike. Mm. And there was something in our life, I forget what it was, but there's a line in the movie that was going on in our life, like one of our <laughs> lines that happened. And, yeah. and that endeared me to that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I adore movies. I mean, I, I think that uh, one, you know, kind of along the lines of what we're talking about in terms of how we run uh, a company. I saw, well, Hunger Games, of course, and then The Giver and um, Divergent. And it's, it's <clears throat> worlds that are trying to solve the problem of, you know, people getting along and... and, and making a happier place, 
you know, for everybody to live, you know, recognizing different personality types. And, and uh, so it, it's great studies. It is. And I think what's so interesting in these future looks is something important is suppressed in all of them. Mm. Like even did you see the one with Matt Damon where there's the um, satellite like Nirvana and um, what's her name? Oh, I just forgot her name. Jodie Foster oh. is in charge, and and there's like Earth has become the garbage planet in mm-hmm. essence. Uh-huh. You see that? One? I have not. No, I haven't. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. In the same, you know, like it's like these. Um, like in uh, Hunger Games, give her all of them. There's a few who are living really well. Because of the suppression of something, you know, with everyone else. Yeah. I think in Divergent, is it the giver where the emotions are suppressed, right? That's Right. They, yes, you, you take a, yes, it's, it's right. The, you take a Right. Yeah, so everything's shot. black and white. I didn't see it, but I could, yeah. 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 And, um, and <clears throat> one of the things that fascinates me with life, is I think Animal House is one of my favorite stories mm. because of that capacity we have to recreate that's what which we're attempting to resolve or solve or make better. Mm. Um, so with the Animal Farm, did I say Animal House? Yeah. I meant Animal, animal Farm. Animal Farm, okay. Animal Farm, sorry about that. Okay. Very different story. <laughs> uh, animal House, would, I'd like to live that, but... Yeah, I still retain that. But no, Animal Farm. Okay. Sorry. Where the animals took over the farm mm. because of the subject, they were tired of the subjugation. Did you ever read ah. it? Ah. No, I didn't. Oh, it's really I didn't. good. Yeah. So they're tired of the subjugation of the human, the farmer, and they revolt and take over, and everyone's going to be equal. Mm-hmm. But slowly it's eroded because the pigs, like, they decide, like, well, we need someone in charge to, like, deal with the town so we can do trade etc right so right. um eventually and it's these little erosions that the story ends with all the other animals looking through the window when the townspeople and the pigs were having a meeting to mm-hmm. like work everything out and the animals are looking they can't tell the difference between the humans and the pigs uh, oh. so in essence it just got recreated and the right. little erosions that we don't see. Yeah. And that to me is what is fascinating in this life is how how important everything is and yet if you get paranoid with the importance of it it freezes you so you really can't hold it that tightly. Right. But every right. little element is growing. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the name of the book was Illusions by Richard Bach. Oh yeah. You know, and at a certain point, <clears throat> they come across something that is extremely meaning meaningful, and they're saying, "Oh, this would be great for society." And they said, "Oh, but we have to protect it. We can't just let anybody see this." You know, so all of a sudden, you can see that they're building rules around this thing, just like we've always done. You know. Um, and and so I was really the takeaway for me was each of us have to you know we have to be invited into the journey into ourselves 
to find the answer, you know, rather than somebody telling us what the answer is, you know. It's not going to seem real unless you, you work for it, you know, until, uh, until you can see it for yourself and recognize it for yourself. You won't see it. Right, you know? it's alive in you. Right, right. You've earned it, I guess. You know. <laughs> you know, we you know. the universe of earning. That sounds like our dads. Yeah, it kind of does. You know, and it, you know, my. I don't think my father was ever enlightened. You know, uh, whereas I think your dad probably was. I think your dad was too. Oh, no. Here's why I think that. Yeah. Um. Well, what just flashed into my mind is I don't think my mom would have been with your dad as long as she was mm. if there was, you know, his intellect yes. was an, an, an enlightened intellect. <clears throat> so let me, but here's the other, here's why I think he was enlightened. Remember that thing he created that he never put out to the world, but yeah. there was the manual of like the but, system of... Yeah. Uh, SMS construct or SMS Whatever, sensory right, motor right. system. So um, Wayne Dyer, you know, all these yeah. other very successful people, yeah. same mm. thing. Right. Now, your dad had some real poison in him mm -hmm. that I think poisoned the enlightenment. Yeah. And maybe that's the truth of all, all of us. Like maybe right. that's when we were earlier were talking about forgiveness. Um, and how that happens from me, one of the great seeds of me holding how that works mm -hmm. is Thich Nhat Hanh's poem he wrote as a teenager, I think, mm -hmm. about um, these pirates who raped this woman. And his poem is compassion for the pirates because mm -hmm. for them to do such a deed, there's so much pain in there. Mm -hmm for them to be able to consciously act out that deed, that that has reason and need for a lot of compassion. And that, to me, is the element of forgiveness that I'm mm. going for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because then every heinous deed, you recognize the humanity of the person who did Right. And then the forgiveness can come. Because you're not forgiving a monster. You're not forgiving evil. Like you're recognizing there is no evil. There's hum humanity, for lack of a better word. Interesting. You know? Like, for instance, your father was growing up in an environment. And his parents were growing up. Like these children, all, yeah, all these yeah. beings were at one time innocent children. Right. And something happened. Yeah. And it short-circuited the natural way of being. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Changed the trajectory of their lives. You know, that could be one little thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. Um, <laughs> well, I was just yeah, I was just thinking though, you know, about um, I call them the unlovables, you know, because 
whatever happened to them, you know, that for them to be able to do such an awful act, you know, like say the pirates. Um, you know, it has to do with how they feel about themselves, that they'll never get love, that they'll never have whatever, what they may see other people. And there's a lot of angry, un, you know, things that are unresolved. Um, so yes, that the, the appropriate thing is to have compassion for them, you know, because what that phrase, um, what is it? I can't think of it. But something, uh, but for the grace of God, yeah, yeah. The other thing that just came to mind is if if we aren't able to breathe into the horrors of our life, that which we resist persists. Mm-hmm. You know, th- th- yeah, th- that is such a big phrase there. It's <laughs> just like, what am I resisting in that case? What are they resisting? They're resisting changing? Well, for just you and me sitting mm-hmm. here, I'd say any topic that we cannot talk about. Oh. That we, like you said, anxiety, without breath, anything that we cannot talk about and we mm-hmm. get tight, our mm-hmm. breathing stops, is an area where we have resistance. Mm-hmm. So we have resistance to it, and they're, oh, okay, therefore it's going to persist, because you're not really addressing it, you're not handling it. Okay, yeah, that I I can see. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when I went through this this program, uh, you know, in terms of the Hoffman Institute going and looking at childhood issues and stuff like that, um, uh, bing, just went out of my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I'll come back (laughs) I'm talking about breathing anxiety persisting because we're resisting it yeah I think I was heading in another direction and then I'll come back alright five minutes down the road (laughs) (laughs) call me up (laughs) do you have a cell phone (laughs) in fact actually you know um, uh, I only have a cell phone I don't have landline anymore you know I've made a lot of changes you know to kind of um, you know come into the 21st century yeah. <laughs> I've had a cell phone for a long time <laughs> <laughs> there's some people out there yeah that I you know my mom, you know, she's not on Facebook anymore. And it was nice having her on Facebook, but, you know. Wasn't it was, her cup of it tea. It wasn't her cup of tea, so I can totally understand that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Was there anything else that... Hmm. Oh, I think we were talking about... Well, I want to say thank you for mentioning that about my dad. You know, that... you Because know, I... Uh, I think it was definitely trying, you know, to be enlightened and change. Um, but I think that is that 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 bit in, wasn't him. It wasn't him, and, and it was he did try to do that through the sensory motor construct. Um, and you know, in his last days, you know, all he said is, 
love is the answer, you know, all you need is love, that type thing, you know, and it kind of almost seems, you know, cliche, but he's at that point, you know, where he's, he's being broken down to just the bare things, you know, that love is important. I forget his exact, you know, close to last words, but, um, that was where he was at, you know, and I, I feel that, thank God he got there, you know, because all that matters, I think, is that you do align yourself, you know, to be in the state of love, and I think he did do that. And there is the potential that he was the irritant so that you be could become the pearl. Yeah. And that he, in the big picture of things, said, okay, I'll be the irritant. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in fact, I heard a, a nice phrase of, you know, a butterfly, you know, looking at its cocoon, you know, and saying, well, it served its purpose, you know. It, and it's looking in the past, obviously, you know, and that's the best way I think, well, it served its purpose, you know, so. <laughs> well, this feels like a good place to me to start. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, uh, it's fun. Wonderful. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.